Greetings, new listeners. ParentWise is meant to be listened to in order, so please start with Season 1, Episode 1, and work your way from there. Do you have children who struggle with math? Do you struggle helping your children with math? If so, we have a great series of books written by Danica McClellar. She has written books for children between the ages of preschool and college, and I think you'll find them truly helpful. You can find this and other resources by going to our website, parentwise.com, Our Picks. Mom, Mom, Mama, what's Parentwise? So when do you want to go to sleep? None time. None time? Parentwise is wildly honest. We talk to real parents about real issues. Parents often have no place to go to figure out what to do and how to fix it. A community of parents who find solutions that work in the real world. The first step to fixing anything is understanding the why of it. Hi, I'm Carrie Jordan. And I'm Dr. B. And, and this, this is ParentWise. Parent oh. Thanks for joining us for episode two. Episode two. <sighs> We're here already. It's amazing. <laughs> Truly. So in today's episode, we are going to be talking about the follow-up from episode one. We talked about the four goals of misbehavior. Now we're going to talk about what do you do when the misbehavior happens? Right. How do we handle it? And it's pretty formulaic, which I love. It's something that you can remember. You'll be able to hopefully memorize over time and then use as tools later on. And it gets reflexive, which is just the most wonderful thing in the world. I agree. That is really helpful when you don't have to think about it as much anymore. I still have to check myself. No, always. Yeah. But at least you kind of have an idea of where to start. As we've talked about and as I think we're going to continue to talk about, we always want what we do to correct our children's misbehavior to head us in a direction so that it produces children in the end who become wonderful adults who can function in the adult world. What we're really trying to do is to correct the misbehavior and also reach another goal. We're not just trying to get the misbehavior to stop. There are lots of ways to stop a kid's misbehavior. Some of which aren't really great. No, a lot of which cause damage. Right. I mean, you know, chaining them up. What are they going to do then? <laughs> I'm just saying it's an option. It's not a good option. It's not a legal option. It's not a safe option. True. But it is an option. <laughs> anyway, so obviously we want something that's going to produce a better human being at the end of the day. Exactly. Give them the tools and lessons that they need to be better. Right. Right. Absolutely okay. true. Well, then let's get to it. Let's talk about what to do when your child misbehaves. Yeah. So one of the things that we definitely wanted to cover today was reward and punishment and what the definition is really of those two things and why they don't work anymore. Okay. The origin of punishment and reward comes from the days when countries had kings and the kings ruled the land. The king could randomly do whatever he wanted with his serfs. And when they didn't do what he wanted, he would punish them. He'd right. get even with them because right. that's what punishment is. It's a getting even. Mm -hmm. And so when the serfs would get punished, they'd go home and they'd punish their wives. And then the wives would be pissed off and they'd punish the kids. And right. kids would take it out on the dog. Well, yeah. And I think at the end of the day, what you're saying is that people who are victims 
tend to victimize other people as a way of kind of settling the score and evening themselves out in some emotional, mental, emotional way. Well, and it has to do with a preconceived idea that some people are better than others. For instance, parents somehow have an authority over and are better than kids. Instead of just understanding that we're all entitled to love and respect, and parents have more knowledge and more experience than kids. Mm -hmm. But kids are as equally entitled to love and respect as parents. Okay, fine. For the sake of argument, I will For the sake of argument. And similarly, reward was something that the king bestowed upon his serfs. If they did what he wanted, he'd reward them. It was something that came from high and trickled down to the lower people. And so those concepts, getting even and rewarding as a way of encouraging people, translated into how people ran their families. And if dad said something and it didn't get done, he felt entitled to get even. He'd be angry. You didn't listen to me. You didn't do it my way. Watch this. Watch what happens. And back in the day, you know, the mothers would say, wait till your father comes home because he was the heavy hand. You know, he would spank or he'd yell or whatever he would do. That's not how it was in my household. No, it wasn't. It was much more wait till your mother gets home. (laughs) I think I might actually remember dad saying those words. Oh my. (laughs) I'm going to have to tell your mother. Uh, They were like, no, no, (laughs) (laughs) so the new way of looking at things, and it's more functional on all kinds of level, is to trade in punishment or getting even with something we call discipline, which is also something we can call it coaching. And we trade in reward, which is that thing that is bestowed upon a lower person, as encouragement. Mm -hmm. And as adults, we often can see where children need to be going, where we want them headed with their behavior. And instead of trying to bribe and reward, which often doesn't work when a kid figures out what we're up to, encouraging a child for the sake of the behavior is the thing that we try and do. Now, it's important to understand that as I'm describing discipline, and encouragement, that you can turn a discipline or an encouragement into something very different just by your attitude. Mm -hmm. And this is where it's really important to kind of pay attention to your own parenting background. If you were raised in a house where a parent was very heavy-handed and they spanked and they got even, that's going to be a reflex. It might not even be spanking. It might be yelling and screaming. Because with this modality of parenting, there's No yelling and screaming. There's just no need. We lay it out in a way that makes sense, and then we follow through. So paying attention to what our instinct is and where it came from will be helpful when you're relearning how to parent with these methods. Right. And I think we have acknowledged and will acknowledge many times that being a good parent means being able to take a good look at yourself and make some really important acknowledgements and then make changes. It's not an easy process, but so much of what we do, whether it be bad or good, is a direct response to what was done to us or what our experience was. So sometimes we have to deal with those experiences in order to create a different experience for our kids. Yes. And I understand that there's not supposed to be any yelling and screaming, but there will be sometimes, but (laughs) that's obviously not in the name of this parenting modality. However, it is in the name of being human. Right. Dreikers, 
who is the person where this methodology originated from, he used to say things like, spanking is very therapeutic. And then he'd pause. And then he'd say, it's therapeutic for the parents. (laughs) Right. (laughs) It doesn't do a thing for parenting. We can spank all we want. It doesn't correct behavior. It only teaches that might makes right. And if we don't want that message passed on to our children, we need not to put our hands on them. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean that we won't at some point make mistakes and do that. And then when that happens and we acknowledge that we've made some mistakes in our parenting, we have to go back and we have to talk to our children about it. We have to talk about how we wished we had done it, and to sort of recorrect ourselves with the children so that they understand that we are being mindful about this, mm-hmm. we're being present, we're doing our best to be the best kind of parent we can be. Going through this process is also really valuable because it models for your kid what to do when you make a mistake. They should apologize, they should be mindful, they should acknowledge what they did and what they're going to try and do in the future. You did that really well with us at home because you were quick to apologize when you made a mistake and were very thorough about the apology. This is why I'm apologizing. This is how I'm going to try to be in the future. And I definitely have an easy time apologizing because you modeled that. Okay, so you did a great job talking about the difference between punishment and reward versus a better parenting technique of discipline and encouragement. So let's talk about what to do to correct behavior when you need to do the discipline. So when we're talking about disciplining children and or teaching them, we use some techniques called natural and logical consequences. Now, there is a difference between a natural consequence and a logical consequence. What we're wanting children to understand is that when they do something, there's always something that happens in response. It can be a good response or it can be a bad response, but there's always a consequence to our behavior. If it's a natural consequence, that means we as a parent don't have to do anything. Let me give you an example. If we call Jenny for dinner and Jenny's very busy watching TV and either chooses not to come or truly is in a different place and doesn't hear us, we can start dinner, we can finish dinner, clear the table, put everything away. And when her program is over, she's going to want to know where her dinner is. And we just have to say, you know, we called you for dinner. Dinner's over. I'm sorry you missed it. And you don't have to do anything. I'm doing little quote things with my fingers. We don't have to punish. We're just doing the natural outcome of their behavior. The natural outcome is you watch TV through dinner. Dinner's over. There is no dinner. Right. So the only thing that you are doing as a parent at that point is to call your child and call once, twice, however many times you feel comfortable. I personally think two times is pretty much all that I'll do. Generally. So you call Jenny once. She doesn't say anything. You poke your head in. Hey, Jenny, it's time for dinner. She goes, okay, but she doesn't come in. And then that's it. You don't have to do anything else. You just let the natural consequences occur on their own. Correct. By just going through dinner and she misses dinner by not coming to dinner. Right. Now, there are some parents who absolutely can't tolerate the thought of Jenny missing dinner. That's too hard for them based on their own background. Mm even though I can promise you now that your child won't starve to death by missing a meal. So then you create a consequence. And this is the beauty of this system. It can be anything that's logically connected. Let me give you some examples. 
You can say, well, we've already put dinner in the refrigerator, but if you'd like to have dinner cold, that's okay. And you don't go out of your way to warm it up, but there it is. There's food. I've done that before. Okay. Where I'll just wrap her plate up and put it in the refrigerator. Right. And then if she wants it, she can go and get it. Right. The next day, you can do the consequence of when she says, can I watch television? You can say, oh, sweetie, I'd love to let you watch television because I know you really like it. But you know, yesterday you missed dinner because you were so involved in television, you didn't even hear me calling you. So I think today you should do something else. You can read a book, you can play with your toys, but we're not going to watch television today because it's too hard for you to hear me when I call you for dinner. There's a connection. She missed dinner. We don't want her to do that again. She missed it because she was watching television. So we just take television out of the equation. The next day you can say, so Jenny, can we try you again watching television? Do you think you'll be able to remember to come when mommy calls you? And we try it again. Mm -hmm. And most children learn very quickly. If they want to watch their program, they just have to keep an ear open for mom if mom needs something. One logical consequence with Rue that I did when she was, mm, I'd say about four, she wouldn't put her shoes on. She wouldn't put her shoes and socks on. I had asked her, two, even three times. Like, sweetie, we're going to leave. I need you to put your shoes and your socks on. And then when it was time to leave and she didn't have shoes and socks on, I said, okay, well, you know, we don't have time to put them on anymore. So let's just go to the car and you'll have to put them on later. And it was really hot out. So the ground was very hot. And as she was walking to the car on the hot cement, of course, she was really upset because her feet were burning and she was crying. And I did not pick her up. Why? Because it's not going to kill her. It's going to hurt. <laughs> But it's also going to stick with her. And those are the best consequences, the ones you really only have to do once because they stick in the old brain. So <laughs> she said, Mommy, my feet are burning. And I said, I know. That's why people wear shoes. The shoes protect your feet, you know, if it's raining or if it's hot. That's what they're for. And that's all I had to say. Didn't happen again. No, of course not. She didn't want to burn her feet again. It, really, it hurt, you know. She was fine. <laughs> we didn't have to, like, take her to the hospital or anything. <laughs> no but blisters. There were no blisters. You know, it was hot, though. She was dancing, is she my was, guess. Yeah, she was, like, you know, hopping around and crying. And we got in the car. I'm like, you know, are you feeling better? Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. The beauty of that whole thing was you didn't yell and scream. No. You know? And that I let the logical consequences slash natural consequences. This was a combination of both. Right. You know, you don't wear shoes. Naturally, whatever's happening on the ground is going to affect your feet. So that is a natural consequence of right. not wearing shoes. We certainly wouldn't do that if you knew she had to cross glass. Uh, I'm just kidding. No, of course not. <laughs> I never do that. That's horrible. So anyway, there's a ton of examples, a ton of ways to do it. You just have to make sure that the connection is there. Right. When it comes to young children, like with the monkey, for example, as you know, she's a climber. So you can leave the room for 20 seconds, come back, and somehow she's climbed onto something that's six feet up in the air. Hence the name monkey. Well, no, I, we called her monkey before that. I don't know. Maybe we shouldn't have called her monkey. Maybe we should have called her sloth or, I don't know, <laughs> something that stays on the ground and doesn't <laughs> climb up walls. Anyway, so the logic consequence that we create there is when she gets up high like that, we don't take her down. We spot her. We make sure she doesn't fall and hurt herself, but she has to figure out a way to get down. She got herself up there. She needs to, a consequence of that is to figure out how to get down. It's not a nice thing to do to not allow your children to learn to get themselves out of the situation that they got themselves into. So this is something that you might want to observe. You'll see 
in a lot of cases that people will say things to their children like, okay, if you don't do this, no more bicycle. And the bicycle has nothing to do. It's not related at all to the misbehavior. Right. A popular one is to take away video games. Video These games. days is video games, Television. TV, and... Computer time. Yeah, computer time, the digital stuff. Right. And again, if it's not connected, if the video games don't have anything to do with the misbehavior, they haven't interrupted, intervened in any way, it's not logically connected. And that turns it into a punishment. And again, it's a way of saying, I know you love this, so I'm taking it away from you. And you can't have it anymore because you didn't do what I wanted you to do. And that's not a good way to teach children. Teaches might makes right. Again, we're not after that. However, you can make something related. So for <laughs> example, if your kids are playing their video games, afterwards they're really cranky when it's time to get off of the video games, you can then say, look, after you watch your video games for too long or when you watch your video games for too long, you become difficult. You become cranky. cranky. <laughs> and with the Rue, that was true if she watched too much TV. And one of the things I told her was, sweetie, you are not fun after you watch a certain amount of TV. You become very, very cranky. You don't listen anymore. And I'm not sure why that is, but... Because of that, I'm going to have to start limiting the amount of TV you watch. So from now on, blah, 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 which I could have gone a different direction and really just focused on the you're not listening to me or you're being cranky, so I'm not going to listen to you or one of those things. So you can lead it back in so many different ways. Or let's say one of your kids is speaking to you in a way you don't like. Well, I think you're probably getting that from your video games. You're spending so much time on your video games that... You're listening to the way that they're talking, and now you're starting to talk that way. Or TVs and movie. That's a nice way to connect and relate as well, is if they're talking back to you and giving you attitude, that can be because of what they're learning on their video games and what they're learning on TV or online. Somewhere you're watching something that's telling you that this is okay. So I'm afraid you just can't watch it. You don't know the difference between what's okay and what's not when you see it on TV or hear it on a video game. Right. So you can create something that is related if you are thoughtful about it. Correct. What we're trying to do here is help our children think logically. It does all kinds of things in a positive way. It helps them put the pieces together too. Like, it wouldn't surprise me if Rue had said to you, I'm not cranky because of television. And you say, well, maybe, but every time you turn off the television, you're cranky. So maybe we'll try one more time. And if you're still cranky, then we'll try taking it away. But we'll give you a chance to prove to us it isn't related. Right. Having things clearly related teaches kids and trains them and coaches them on the fact that in the world, when you behave a certain way, there are going to be things that happen as a result of that. If you're rude to somebody, they're not going to want to talk to you anymore. Right. If you are saying mean things to your friends, they're going to stop being your friends or they're going to say mean things back, which is not fun to hear. So they start to put connections towards if I do A, then B may happen. And it isn't always just B. It's B, C, D, E. Any of those things may happen as a result of my behavior. I have an interesting story about when you were in junior high. I'd rather not hear it. I'm kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> Do you remember you had an English class 
and you were not doing well in the English class. Mrs. Moore? Mm-hmm. And <laughs> she... <laughs> nope, don't remember. <laughs> and you came home and you said, she doesn't like me. That's why I'm not getting a good grade. Which is 100% true, everybody. <laughs> she did not like me, probably for good reason. And go on. <laughs> so we went and we talked to her, and she complained that you weren't paying attention, that you were doing other things when you should have been listening. True. And you weren't turning in your work. True. All things true. But (laughs) why didn't she like me? How do these two things connect? So when we got home, I challenged you because we were halfway through the last semester. And I challenged you to try to turn that completely around. You were getting, I think, a C minus in the class. Mm -hmm. And I gave you some ideas about what you could do to help Mrs. Moore feel differently about you. I told you that it would be really important to get your homework done. And you happened to be good in English, so that wasn't really a stretch. You just didn't like her, so you weren't doing the work. Well, and I didn't like doing homework. Yes, that's true. I still don't like doing homework, (laughs) mind you. So doing your homework was one of the things. Paying attention in class, and not just paying attention by keeping your face forward, but I told you to make eye contact with the teacher and try and always have her know that you were looking at her directly. And you thought that was really dumb. And then the final dumb thing I told you to do, you were to go up to her and say, is there anything I can do to help you after school? And you really didn't want to do that. You said, I I can't imagine why. Yes. You said, my friends are going to think I'm sucking up to the teacher. I said, because I would be sucking up to (laughs) the teacher. I said, yes, yes, they will. But I want you to know what a difference it makes when you connect honestly and genuinely and you help a teacher, perhaps who has not been kind and wonderful to you. And it did make a difference. Made a huge difference. Yeah. We fell in love and ended up dating for many years. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for that, by the way. got an A in the class. So everyone understands. Talk to me about how your anecdote about me is related to consequences being related. Okay. You were doing poorly in that class. Of course, you really thought it had nothing to do with you. It was really terrible teacher who was the problem. I don't think I really actually thought that. Actually, I know I didn't really think that, but you know, I had that eighth grade brain. Right. Well, and I think at that point you felt like there wasn't anything you could really do that was going to make it any better. And so I had you come with me to talk with the teacher so that the teacher could tell you directly what the issues were. I wanted you to be able to see that that was a problem for her. And then after we talked... You and I sat down and I challenged you to really consider that if you changed what you did, everything would change, the outcome would change, and that it really had nothing to do with the teacher. It was related to your behavior. Right. So you were saying that the way that the teacher responded to me was a consequence of my behavior. Exactly. And then you wanted me to see how she would react to me when I changed my behavior. So that would be the positive consequence of a good behavior change. And I could not have done this if this was, say, in January, and we were hoping for a good outcome in June. You were too young for that. But this was less than a month before the end of school. So it was a short-term thing. I could say to you, we only have X number of days, and these are the things I need you to focus on doing. Mm-hmm. And if you can do those, let's see what comes out. Right. And it was extremely successful. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'll say. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
So related. I feel like we really covered related. Yes, really. Is there anything else that we want to talk about with regard to having the logical, natural consequences be related? Nope. Me neither. I think one of the harder things to do is to keep the consequence reasonable, not going overboard, I guess, which is hard to do when you're angry. I remember you saying that the goal is not necessarily to make them suffer, which is not nearly as fun. I think we all can agree. (laughs) We're suffering because of the behavior, so we want them to suffer in response to the behavior. But Yes, but you know what happens when you do that? Revenge. Uh Uh-huh. Another R. Another R. But more importantly, you never can win with a child that you get into that kind of behavior with because children are guerrilla fighters. Mm -hmm. And if you go over the top with a consequence and it's not related, children will retaliate. That's third goal. You mean and it's not reasonable? Yes, when it's not reasonable. And if we're looking to get even, children sense that. And they can get even in ways that we would never even consider. So for it to be reasonable, which means equal in proportion and intensity to the misbehavior, so the idea being don't go overboard. For example, if your child hits you, you might not want to necessarily cancel your trip to Disneyland tomorrow because of that. You would, however, probably say, if you're going to touch me like that, if you're going to hurt my body then you can't be around me. And so I need you to go and spend some time in your room away from people since it doesn't look like you know how to be around people without hurting them. If it escalates and escalates, you want to keep in mind if they're tired, if they're hungry, those kinds of things before you go to something really big like canceling a trip to Disneyland or or not going to a friend's birthday party. Unless this is a habitual thing and now you're truly concerned that your kid's going to hit somebody at the birthday party, then it's a different story. But if this is not a common thing, have them spend some time on their own since they don't know how to be around other people and, you know, kind of see how that works. Right. Would would that be considered, quote unquote, reasonable? Yes. And we want to remember, again, that we're not getting even and we're not necessarily even looking for a reaction because a lot of children really understand, hmm, I guess I didn't do what mom wanted me to do. And especially as we've been doing this for a while, they maybe will accept the consequence and just go with it. So you're not going to get crying and carrying on. And you may not see what you think you need to see to know that things are better. So the R that is missing from this is remorse. (laughs) (laughs) Because a lot of times our children don't show remorse and don't actually feel remorse because that's just not a feeling that they have yet. We're talking about younger children. Right. They're just figuring out what works together, how things go. You know, they just aren't old enough to think that they even should be remorseful for putting you through whatever it is they're putting you through or not listening or what have you. Well, and the other R is reaction. We may not see a reaction on their part. No remorse and no reaction. Exactly. It does not mean that your child isn't understanding it or getting it. No lectures. No lectures. Right. Lectures, no worky. (laughs) No, and the reason they don't work is children don't hear more than 10 to 15 seconds. Yeah. And boy, can we talk. You know, most parents, they go on and on, even if it's just two or three minutes. 
think about it. Two or three minutes and they only take in 15 seconds. Well, and I think we need to cut ourselves some slack when it comes to that because sometimes we just need to be heard (laughs) or not even be heard. Like even if it's us hearing our own voices, but the talking without action is ineffective. You know, it just doesn't help. It might help us feel better. Right. So. So reasonable. So I think we understand reasonable. Are you a coffee snob? I'm a coffee snob and I am completely unapologetic. This is why I want to share with you a company that I've begun buying coffee from. They're called Unincorporated Coffee Roasters. I did check. They are, in fact, unincorporated. So, honesty in advertising, who doesn't love that? Unincorporated Coffee Roasters is a small company, and at ParentWise, we really like supporting small businesses with products that we absolutely love. Because they're small, they roast their beans in small batches, and my guess is that if you weren't already a coffee snob, this coffee will turn you into one. To find out more and order online, please go to unincorporated.coffee. We will also have the website link on our website, parentwise.com. So I know that another part of crafting a really good logical consequence is making sure that it is done respectfully. We want to model respectful behavior. Generally, most of us are respectful to our peers and to the people around us. And we want children to understand that respect is something we give everyone. It's not just something an adult gives to an adult. It's not something that an adult only gives to a child. It's something each of us has to give to all of the people around us, child to child, parent to teacher, teacher to child. We all need respect. So it is a modeling behavior. It is a modeling behavior. And it needs to set the stage for whatever comes after it, because if we're not respectful, children don't listen. They turn us off. Mm -hmm. And if we want them to listen to what we have to say, we have to be respectful of who they are, their situation, and we have to let them know by being respectful that they're important. This speaks to the tone of voice, all of those things that you do when you say it to make it as effective as possible. And when you give a consequence using a tone of voice that is disrespectful, you are essentially shaming the child and showing them that you are unhappy and angry, which is exactly the opposite of what we're trying to do with a logical consequence, which is simply attach behavior to an outside consequence, not behavior to now I've upset my mom or my dad. Right. The other thing that you need to remember is that our children encounter a lot of disrespect in the world outside. Sometimes it's simply disrespect because people think they're too little, uh, they're too young to understand or that their ideas aren't important. So very often, even though we model respectful behavior, they bring home disrespectful behavior. I think there was a situation that you had with Rue where, and actually she did it with me. I said something to her and she went, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And I just looked at her and she knew immediately Yeah, because the look you give her is the look I give her. I got my look from you. So she was like, oh, shit, I know that look. Yeah, and the look was, what? What? (laughs) Squeeze me? And she immediately apologized. Yeah, 
Yeah. She did. She apologized right away and she said, I'm sorry. And I said, that's okay. We just don't talk to each other like that, do we? And she said, no, we don't. So essentially, we want to treat the child the way we want them to treat us and other people. And keep in mind that they are human beings. And even though they're small and they haven't lived that long and they're kind of dumb because they haven't lived that long, they still are deserving of respect. And R-E-S-B-E-C-T, find out what it means to me. (laughs) R-E-S-B-E-C-T, I'm going to stop right now. So the next one is reliably enforced. And really what we're saying is that we want our children to be able to predict that we are going to do what we say we're going to do and that they can count on it. And that's really important to parenting. When you are consistent in enforcing your consequences, then children come to believe that you are going to do what you say you're going to do. And it's a matter of trust. Honestly, there is an unconscious fear when a parent does not follow through on good things or bad things. Right. Well, it makes the world not a very safe place because the world is no longer predictable. We want them to feel like there is at least one place where things are predictable. If you say something, you mean that and you will follow through on it. Mm -hmm. And it's not an empty threat. It's also not an empty promise. Mm -hmm. So we always have to be careful that we don't just say things impulsively and that when we do say something that has merit, that we follow through with it. One thing I've noticed a lot are threats that parents will make that would be a nightmare to follow through on, things that they would not want to give up. And then they, of course, they don't follow through because they don't want to give it up. It was just hot air, essentially, you know, Mm -hmm. and I kind of understand that because they're just reaching for something to make a statement, you know, to say, if you don't clean your room, we're not going to go to the beach tomorrow when, you know, this person loves the beach. I love the beach. Of course, I'm going to the beach. I'm not going to give up my beach day for this kid if they don't do it. Okay, that's okay. You don't have to. But then you can't use that. Right. You have to use something else. Or if you do say it and you realize you've stuck your foot in it, then it's time to go get a babysitter. Yeah. Because you have to follow through. Right. Exactly. And that's, I think, the biggest thing that I've noticed with inconsistencies in like following through are just that they say something that would be almost impossible or that they really wouldn't want to follow through on. And the fact of the matter is, and I talk about this with my friends a lot, being a good parent is much harder than being a bad parent or being not even a bad parent, but a lazy parent. And we all are lazy parents sometimes. But being a really good parent means that you are going to follow through, whether or not it's convenient for you, which, of course, is just a lot harder. And, you know, I've stuck my foot in it before. One time, the Rue was about probably a young four. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to do her hair, you know, get her hair out of her face so that we could leave. And she wasn't really letting me do that. And then I just said, for some unknown reason, well, we are not leaving this house until I do your hair. And we weren't going anywhere that was, like, making her particularly excited. She was like, cool. <laughs> he was like super. And as soon as it came out of my mouth, I'm like, damn it. What was I thinking? Like this is the stupidest thing ever, especially since most of the time since she doesn't like having her hair. Well, she's fine with it now, but 
is I'd wait for her to get in her car seat and then I'd do her hair because now she's trapped, which makes way more sense. But instead, I'm like, you will not leave this house to go somewhere you don't want to go anyway unless you let me do your hair. And then I was like, crap. So I call one of my best friends in the world and I'm like, okay, this is what I said. She goes, well, you screwed yourself. She's like, you you basically painted yourself into a corner. I'm like, I know. But she and I were both of and still are of the mindset that once you say it, you have to do it. Mm-hmm. So then I decided, I realized the answer and what was going to happen because she was in her room playing. And then I said, no, you know, this isn't going to be playing. We're just going to sit here on the couch and do nothing until your hair is done and then we can leave. So I made it more uncomfortable for her to give her more of an incentive. And of course, after we sat there for 30 seconds, she was like, okay, do my hair, you know? (laughs) But I was just like, oh man. So you usually, even if you step in it a little bit, at least in that way, where you end up doing something that, you know, creating consequence that the kid's like actually okay with and really screws you more than them, or is, you know, really causes you inconveniences that you can up the ante a little bit there and then, you know, have it turn out okay. But it was pretty funny. Well, and the other thing, since we know that we have to adapt our parenting to the needs of the children as they grow older, I can remember when you guys were teenagers and if there was a problem and you were grounded, you know, a lot of parents will say, fine, you're grounded, but then they want to go someplace. They have a dinner date or they plan to go to the movies And I know far too many parents who will leave their children at home. Mm -hmm. They're teenagers thinking, well, they're teenagers. I can leave them alone. That is just a prescription for disaster. I think it's a great idea. (laughs) That's the teenager in me talking. Yes, indeed it is. (laughs) So every time you guys were grounded, whatever I had went right out the window. I was grounded too. And it really takes that level of commitment for kids to understand mom's willing to do whatever it takes Mm to follow through. So I need to pay attention. And that's how it, like, literally, that's how it felt to me. That it felt like she will cut off her own arm. If that was what she threatened for some reason, then that's what, you know, that's what she's going to do. (laughs) And there was no doubt in my mind that you would follow through. Which is why, I mean, we certainly had our issues like any family when you guys were teenagers. But I think I had less of that because you also knew what the consequences would be. Yeah. And they were predictable. Yeah. Predictable and reliable. Right. Well, we definitely, we trusted you. We trusted that you did what you said you would do. The other thing I will say that has an added benefit for this, which is that it sets the groundwork for their doing what they say they will do as well. Yeah. Because that's how you do it in your family. When we say something, we mean it and we do it. And It's especially true if you're talking to your child about something and they say, okay, I'll do my homework or okay, I'll come right home from school. You expect that. And there are consequences if that doesn't happen. Yeah. And one of the things too, that I think that is helpful, I didn't come from a yelling household. When we all got together as like extended family, then there's yelling, but that's just because we're a big, you know, raucous (laughs) Jewish family who likes to yell. (laughs) And it was always friendly for the most part, you know, friendly, Mm -hmm. loud yelling. It's like an Italian family, very similar. But at home, you didn't yell a lot. No. I don't want a yelling house for my kids and for me. I mean, let's be honest. A lot of this is just me. I don't want to yell. I don't want to have to yell. I just, it's so much energy. (laughs) Well, it also doesn't make you feel good. No, I know. It doesn't feel good and it doesn't, I just didn't want that. I don't want that. And 
the way to get out of yelling is by creating consequences and then following through on them. You don't have to yell at them because literally most parents yell when the kids are repeatedly not doing what they've been asked to do. I told you, how many times do I, <laughs> do I have to tell you to go and clean your room? Well, that's up to you how many times. Because mm-hmm. basically they're just going to keep not listening if there's no consequence. But yelling, yelling's okay. Yep. Once a kid gets a little bit older, they can handle yelling. Well, they become mother deaf or father deaf. Right. Wow. So Mother deaf. I'm afraid your child has mother deafness. <laughs> Do you have any hearing aids for such a thing? No. No, we don't. Damn it. But it's true. They become completely desensitized. And now they yell mm-hmm. to express themselves as well. Right. So to me, there is no yelling when you ask your kid to do one thing, ask your kid to do it again, and then the third time, that's it. You're not even asking again. You're just going to follow through on whatever it was you said. Are you saying that you ask them three times before you no, behave? I ask two. You ask two times? Yes. I do it once. I say one more time. This is the last time I'm going to ask you. And then I follow through on whatever it is. With the room in the past, I tell her to clean her room. And she needs to straighten up her room. And she goes, you know, if she doesn't listen or she goes into a tailspin about it. And then I'll say, okay, sweetie, listen, this is the last time I'm going to ask you. Anything that's, that you leave on the floor is something that you just don't care about, that you not, are not interested in keeping. So whatever's left on the floor is going to get taken away, unless it's in its proper place. But anything else that's just left on the floor will get taken away because, you know, we don't treat things like that when we really want them. How often have you had to do that? One time. I said, look, you know, there are so many people out there who don't have any toys, who don't have clothes, who don't have all of those things that we have a lot of. If you don't care a lot about these things, I bet there are other children who will. And let's give those other children these toys that they would get so excited about. So it's not just about taking away, but also kind of like teaching. A social conscience. A social conscience and understanding that, you know, when you really care about something, you take care of it. And that's why all the people who are listening to this are listening. Because they care about their kids and they want good things to happen for them. And they'd like not to have to sell their soul to the devil to get it. I didn't even know that was an option. (laughs) I might have done it had I known. No. (laughs) Oh, well. Okay, great. So reliably enforced, clearly up there as one of the most important things a parent can do. We should reveal or let our children know what the consequence will be in advance for things that we can predict to go wrong. For instance, if we know that our child tends to get caught up in a computer game, we can say to them that if they don't get off the computer when they're supposed to, that their privileges on the computer will have to be shortened. Sometimes the way you do that is you'll say, you have an hour, here's the timer. Once the timer goes off, it's up to you to get off the computer. If I come in and find that you've been on the computer for 10 more minutes, I guess we'll have to take 10 minutes off of tomorrow. Now, if on the next day the same thing happens, you can't use the same consequence because clearly it's not effective. What you'll do is you'll say, you know, since we shortened the time of your being on the computer and you didn't follow the rule, perhaps it means we need to take a break from using the computer. So this is your challenge for today. Your challenge is, can you use the computer for this amount of time? I know it's shorter than 
you would like? And can you get off it when you're supposed to so that I don't have to take away the computer completely? And you leave it up to your child. And it basically says to them, I know you can do it if that's something you choose to do. And it takes you out of being the bad guy because you've let them know in advance what will happen. And then it's up to them to get the behavior right so that the consequence doesn't follow. If they do it right, then a good consequence can follow. You can say, you know, you got off the computer today in 45 minutes. That was excellent. Perhaps tomorrow we can try you at the regular time, computer for an hour. And if you get off the computer when you're supposed to, we can go back to keeping you on the computer for an hour. Again, when misbehavior occurs, we need to be logical and predictable. And telling a child in advance when we know they have an area of problem is really helpful to the child. And it's helpful to us as well because it gives us a framework within which to work. Now, when misbehavior occurs that's not predicted, then we just have to follow through with a logical consequence. It should be connected to the misbehavior, and that sort of sets a base framework for the next time that behavior occurs. Yeah, the word revealed I thought was kind of weird, but then as you were explaining it, it definitely makes it more clear. So it's not just surprise, take away the computer in the middle of it or something like that. So I guess the best anecdote I I think I have right now is something that actually happened this morning. So Rue normally is really great about getting out of bed, even when she doesn't get like enough sleep. But this morning she was not great. And I gave her the choice of having breakfast, like, you know, a good breakfast, let's say mm, French toast, maybe that you made. The baby loves that, by the way, you know, or oatmeal, a hot breakfast, or she could sleep in more until the very last minute. And then we'd get her dressed and give her like a breakfast bar and call it a day. She chose to sleep in more. And I always give her those options because I'm not a morning person either, as you probably don't know. <laughs> Maybe you Yeah, do. sort of remember that. Yeah, mm-hmm. a little bit, a little bit. Yeah. So she opted to sleep. But then when it came time for her to get dressed and to do all the things that she needed to do, which, again, normally she's really good at, she was like, I don't want to. I'm too tired. And so I said, wow. I was like, you know, okay, I'm sorry you're so tired. And I know how that feels. It feels really terrible. We still need to get up and get dressed. But I think tonight what we'll do is we'll just go to bed early so that you're able to get enough rest so that this doesn't happen tomorrow morning. You're clearly still tired and you just need more sleep. So tonight we're going to go to bed earlier so that tomorrow you'll be better about getting up and getting dressed and having breakfast and all those great things to start out your day. And of course she was upset about that because she doesn't like going to bed early. She's a night owl like her mama. Mm-hmm. And so she's like, no. And I was like, this is not helping your case. <laughs> I'm like, you know, whining doesn't, that just shows that you're really tired, which then just pisses her off more. And it's like this cycle that I'm not going to lie, I kind of enjoy. She's just funny. I find the whole thing funny. And I, because I can watch her struggling with it. And, you know, the struggle is real, but the struggle is also kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> So finally, you know, I get her in the car and I'm dropping her off at school and I pull into the car line and someone comes to get her and opens up the door and says, hey, you know, come on, welcome to school. And I look back at her and she has this moment (laughs) where she's about to freak out. Like you can see she's about to just 
you know, do the thing that she does every once in a while. She hasn't done it in a long time. The, I don't want to go to school. I'm going to cry. I'm not getting out of the car. You have to coax me out of the car. And then as quickly as I saw that, I saw her just go, nah. And then she just un unhooked her. But I could see it on her face. She started that frowny, like, down face. Yeah. And then she just was like, nah, forget it. <laughs> Clicked her seatbelt, hopped out of the car. And so... I didn't have an opportunity to say anything to her, but I was really impressed. And I'm also happy that I pay attention to that kind of thing and can see when she makes a good choice. Obviously not always, but I happened to catch her making a good choice at that time to not freak out and not make things worse. Why? Because she knows that it doesn't do anything. In the end, she still ends up in class. That's one of the reasons why I encourage people to let their kids go through whatever feelings they're going to go through. And if they're going to make a big deal out of something, if they don't get what they want out of it, eventually they will stop. So it is a great applicable story. It's very relevant, actually, because you are good at giving very clear instructions about if, then. Children need to know if they do one behavior, then something will follow. And it does a number of things. It helps the world to become more organized. Things are less random. And it helps children make better choices. So when she's tired, she has to think about, if I don't go to bed soon, I'll be crabby in the morning. If I'm crabby in the morning, then I'm going to have to go to bed earlier. And I might not get to play my video game, watch the TV program I want. Similarly, when she was getting out of the car, she had had enough if-thens if you don't get out of the car in a comfortable way, then there were consequences. And she was able to, by this time, process that very quickly. She started with the old behavior and was able to shift to the new behavior. And I was really pleased. I happened to be there when you said to her that evening, you know, I noticed that you almost did what you used to do, but you're getting bigger now. And you thought about it and thought, mm, don't think so. And you got out of the car with a smile and there was no meltdown or temper tantrum. And the look on her face, she was so pleased that you had noticed that. That for her was a really big thing. Okay, so we dove into the concepts behind logical and natural consequences. And obviously, I mean, this is the basis of a lot of what we're going to be. Some of the core work yeah. that we'll be talking to you about. Right, exactly. When we are doing interviews with parents, we're going to be using these techniques to come up with ways to handle the misbehavior, and we'll have opportunities to see how it works or doesn't work. Why? Is it being carried out the right way? And if it is, are we choosing the right natural consequence or the right logical consequence? Right. There's a lot of factors, right? So in our next episode, we will be interviewing Hannah and Matt. Our first family. Yes, our first family. And since we don't have the follow-up from a previous family, we're going to be doing something special at the end of the next episode. We hope that this has been interesting and informative. If you have questions, which I imagine you might, go to our Facebook page and you can leave your questions and your comments there. 